What if you could complete your MBA in just one year? Thanks to the College of Charleston School of Business, now you can. Their accelerated MBA program condenses a traditional two-year program into one rigorous year, ensuring you not only save a year of tuition and fees, but also re-enter the workforce quickly and graduate with critical business knowledge. U.S. News & World Report recognized the College of Charleston MBA as number one in the country for its job placement rate within three months of graduation. Learn more at mba.cfc.edu. Opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. Good morning, and welcome to Beyond the Business, brought to you by the College of Charleston School of Business. The College of Charleston School of Business, where students are beyond ready to work, they're ready to make an impact. Each Saturday morning at 9, successful business leaders and entrepreneurs from across the Lowcountry talk about what it takes to succeed in business and in life. Now your hosts of Beyond the Business, Eric Cox and Leslie Haywood. And great Saturday morning, Lowcountry. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Business, presented by Coastal Wealth Management and the College of Charleston School of Business. Business, where students are beyond ready to work, they're ready to make an impact. I'm one of your hosts here this Saturday morning, Eric Cox, with the lovely, the talented, the wonderful Leslie Haywood. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning, and thank you so much for sharing your Saturday morning with us, Low Country, and make sure and continue the fun beyond Saturday morning and go to our Facebook page at Beyond the Business and also talk to us on Twitter at BTBCHS. We appreciate you tuning in this morning to 94.3, or you may be checking us out via our podcast at iTunes, Spotify, or on our website at Coastal WM. And we've got a special favor we're going to be asking over the next few weeks as well. If you go on to iTunes, uh, we ask that you please go in and rate our show. It's really important for us to get some feedback, and we need everybody listening. Even if you're listening to us via radio, go to iTunes. Type in Beyond the Business and give us a quick rating. We would absolutely appreciate that. Um, only if it's good, though. Only if it's good. That's right. No bad ratings, only good <laughs> ratings. Leslie, with you on here, how could it not be good? Come on. I mean, you're incredible. You're amazing. Um, and hard to believe. I mean, here we are about six or so years into this show, and it never gets uh, tiring to me to wake up on Saturday mornings and get the, the opportunity to go listen to these amazing entrepreneurs and leaders tell their story. I know. You never know what's going to happen. Week in and week out, we seem to have great just talent sharing with the Glow Country all about their experiences, and and certainly last week was no exception to the rule. Yep. Uh, we had Mr. Willis Canty, who's the CEO of Canty Tech Consulting, um, had a great story, as, as we always do, it seems like. Um, yeah, give me a nugget or so that uh, stuck out to you, Leslie. Well, there was a couple of things, but one bit of advice that I think was very poignant, especially coming from a tech guy. He said, don't rush into unproven and the newest things. Um, he just said that you may, you, you know, you might want to be careful and go with something that is tried and true. And I figured coming from a tech guy, he'd be like, no, the latest and greatest. But I mean, he was a little bit more cautious than that. And um, also he said a couple of things about um, the time it takes to achieve those entrepreneurial goals. And he said, it's tough in the beginning and sometimes it's tough for a while. And it's important to be realistic about how long it takes to achieve that overnight success that people dream of. So I think that that was a great advice for entrepreneurs. Those overnight successes take a while. 
Well, great wisdom that he shared. And certainly, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're an aspiring entrepreneur, I would go check out his shows and all the other shows we've had. And again, you could go to iTunes, Spotify, or our website at Coastal WM. Simply type in uh, Beyond the Business. And again, please rate us on iTunes when you have that opportunity. Um, what a great show Willis uh, certainly uh, brought to the table. And we appreciate his time as we do all of our guests. And uh, speaking of which, we're going to turn the page as we always do uh, to another guest. Mr. Mark Richards is in the studio this morning. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. I say in studio. That's from <laughs> the last six years of habit. We're not in studio. We're all still doing this virtual thing. So, uh, Mark uh, Mark is the founder and CEO of several companies. He's a serial entrepreneur. We're going to talk about all those ventures. But uh, first and foremost, Mark, we're just glad that you took the time to uh, share with our uh, audience today. It's my pleasure. Happy to be here. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, uh, certainly before we dive into all your wonderful background that we love, um, give us a quick commercial. And again, you have multiple entities, so it may be a little more challenging, but a, a quick commercial on either one of your key entities or you as a whole. I'll just give them two quick ones. Um, I'm the uh, co-founder of a company called PolyClean, P-O-L-Y-C-L-E-A-N. Um, we're a national company. We optically separate uh, defective resins from good resins for all the big petrochemical companies, DuPont, Dow Chemical, all the big ones. Uh, we we kind of call it pre-cycling. We fix plastics before it ever gets made into the stuff you and I use every day. And the second company is Alfidia. It's more my passion. It's a, a product development company based on James Allen. Uh, we couple uh, product development with uh, manufacturing, sell most of our products as business uh, like to consumers and um, primarily through Amazon as a sales channel. Wonderful. Well, we're going to hear all about those, particularly next week. So, it, no doubt you have entrepreneur spirit flowing through your bloodstream. And uh, I think we want to find out a little bit about where that came from. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, let's take it way back. Give us a little bit of background. Where were you born? Um, where did you grow up? And what was family life like? So, I was born in Charleston, as specifically Roper Hospital. Um, Hang on, we have a rare breed in, in house today, right? Yes. We don't hear local Charlestonians much anymore. So no, my husband will be so happy. He was born and raised, you know, Dr. Bert Pruitt birthed him downtown, and um, he, he. I moved here in the '80s, so there is no way I will ever be from Charleston. And so I, he's going to be so excited to have a real Charlestonian to listen to. <laughs> there you go, and it, I'll, I'll make it even more Charlestonian on the way to the hospital. My dad was coming to pick me up. Um, my mom and my dad were coming to pick me up, and uh, the Ashley River Bridge opened and got stuck open for three hours. So uh, <laughs> my, that was delayed departure for me getting out of the hospital. But I grew up on James Island and uh, born and raised on James Island, married to James Island girl, and and still live on James Island. Now, brothers and sisters? No brothers. And, oh, I have a stepbrother, stepsister, um, about 10 years older than I am. So I didn't actually grow up with them, but um, but they're still alive. So James Allen certainly has changed a lot over the years, Mark. I got a lot of my buddies that grew up in James Allen. Give us a little flavor for what uh, Jim I was like back in that day. I remember Maybank Highway being two lanes. Um, you could ride your bike anywhere without any fear of anything. And I would all the time. We ran around, um, um, me and my friends from my neighborhood ran, ran around and built forts and harassed golfers on the golf course or, and, uh, had a, had a big old time. I had the an almost idyllic childhood. I got to do all the cool kid stuff without a bunch of electronics around me. That's awesome. What did your parents do? 
So my mom was a stay at mom home and my dad is, uh, he owned a tugboat company. So early so he's on, he's an entrepreneur, very much. So, um, he, um, he had a launch business, a, and which I'll explain that a little bit in a tugboat business. And, um, uh, he would uh, move barges up and down the, the intercoastal waterway and build artificial reefs for the state of South Carolina. Um, just basically sinking old vessels and barges offshore. He's been doing that since 71, I think. Wow. And and so as a youngster, did you have the opportunity to get to go out and, and uh, participate in that process with him? Yeah, I think that's probably the coolest part of my, my childhood. I got to play on the tugboats and um, just young as I could possibly be and still walking. And I was walking around on tugboats and jumping between barges. It was I was allowed to do a lot of crazy stuff without helmets and protective gear and including riding bikes and stuff. Uh, lucky I'm still here. Um, fix machinery, use power tools. I mean, it's all the fun stuff you get to do as a kid and uh, and, and learn by goofing stuff up. It's kind of kind of a lot of fun. Now, looking back at the at that time, watching your dad be an entrepreneur, um, you know, during elementary school and high school, could you even at that young age see either the benefits or maybe the downside of owning your own company and being an entrepreneur? Like, how did that shape your vision? Obviously, there was enough positive because you kind of followed in his footsteps being an entrepreneur. But what growing up with an entrepreneurial dad, what were some of the things you remember? I think I recognized um, the positives and negatives of fluctuating cash flow. So mm-hmm. sometimes got, times were good and sometimes times were bad. Um, I never recall being poor or anything, but I know that my parents struggled from time to time when, when the cash flow wasn't there. Um, they just sheltered me from that the best they could, but you can still recognize it. Children are sensitive to those types of things. Um, but I like the freedom. I think that was the number one um, thing I understood early on is that with entrepreneurism and entrepreneurialism, rather you, you, you have an opportunity to create the life exactly like you want it. And so as a youngster, Mark, being around that life and, and being out on the water a lot, did you have some dreams of, Hey, when I grew up, this is what I want to be. You know, I've, <laughs> it's funny, funny. We were talking about this. I, I wanted to be everything. I loved learning about stuff. I'm an avid reader and I was into everything. I have I probably had every hobby known to man at least once. And, um, much to my parents' chagrin, um, particularly my mom, she was so worried about me jumping from thing to thing, but fortunately she was tolerant enough of it to where, uh, she let me kind of try things. And if I didn't like them, I, you know, I, I quit doing them. And then I was entrepreneurial from a young age. I lived on a golf course. So we used to set up a lemonade stand. I remember six years old, setting up a lemonade stand on the eighth hole. And, um, just getting the golfers before they made the turn and, um, are selling golf balls we found in the woods. Um, and now you know, when I play golf, I'm always grateful to, to find a golf ball in the woods. <laughs> <That's where I spend. laughs> you still see dollar signs. Like, oh, oh yeah. There's money to be made. They're just going the opposite direction now, right? We're yeah. losing them. That's true. When it costs more money in balls and green fees, you know, you're not nearly in a sport you should be playing. Now, how were you in sports in high school? Did you play sports? I did just because I was six foot, I'm six foot four. And so, you, and I went to a private school and we, we had soccer in the winter and then, um, or, or the fall rather. And then we had basketball in the, in the, in the winter. And so uh, since I was six foot four, they just stuck me in front of the people with the ball. I wasn't particularly coordinated. I wasn't particularly good at it. Um, but you just, when you're come from a small school, you end up playing just because everybody else is playing. 
So I know uh, being a local product, born and raised in James Island, uh, and you still decided to stay and go to the, the College of Knowledge. And so talk a little bit about your decision to stay local and go to the College of Charleston. I just couldn't figure out where I wanted. First of all, I did not know what I wanted to do. So this, you know, you get a lot of pressure from from the parent, the mom in this particular case, because she dealt with fluctuating cash flow, and um, I think she always dreamed for me to be a doctor or a lawyer. And so I ended up going to college Charleston because I didn't really know where I wanted to go, and so it worked out well. Uh, with the school I went to, quite a few of us went there, and I had the best time in college. I think. I, 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 those are my fondest memories of being young, is being in the college, Charleston. That's a great school. Well, you were there during some glory days, too, right? That was the NAIA championship, and Coach Cress, Steve Yetman was, was lighting it up, and uh, you were there at some good times. That's right, Eric. It's fun. I mean, it was uh, the, a joke about this for the students today, but my tuition was $900 a semester. Um, I started in 84, got out in 88, um, and books were more than, than the classes. And I mean, you know, it was, we had a lot of fun. It was just good times. What did you get a degree in? What did you decide to do? Well, that's a funny story, Leslie. I, um, <laughs> by the time you reach your junior year, so you're going out a sophomore year to your junior year, you're, you're required to declare a major at the college of Charleston. And I was talking with my advisor, looking through my transcript and I, my, my childhood tendencies to try everything and jump into everything and learn about everything uh, really showed up in my transcript. I had such a hodgepodge. I had anthropology. I had biology. I had chemistry. I had art history. It was such a mess that I was really worried I wasn't going to be able to get out of school in time. So I literally went through the student handbook, which is a, it was a printed handbook at the time. And I just went through major after major after major, and I found one that only required 28 hours of discipline in the major in order for you to get it, and that was philosophy. <laughs> and so I chose philosophy just because it was the most efficient major to actually declare and get, you know, get, be able to get out of school. And by the way, in case you're wondering whose voice that is, it's Mr. Mark Richards joining us here on Beyond the Business. And Mark is a, a, what we would call a, definitely a serial entrepreneur, has many companies that he's been part of, of, of uh, starting and finding. And uh, of course, you'll listen to him here again on Beyond the Business. Um, Mark, you've been talking about your upbringing, um, went to the College of Charleston. And so, when you jump out of school, you're ready to get started. I believe you kind of went back to your dad to begin your working career back out on the reefs off the coast here. Yeah. So I, when I got out of college, Charleston, still with my degree in philosophy, I, I did look for a job. I, the news and courier at the time used to have classifieds for jobs. And I'd searched diligently in there for somebody offering six figures for a philosopher, but um, wasn't, wasn't <laughs> too successful. Up, huh? <laughs> so, uh, so in order just to support myself, I went working with dad. He was doing two things at the time. Um, one, uh, Port Royal down in Beaufort was an active port and we would dock ships down there. Actually, during college, I docked ships. A little known secret about me is I'm, I'm, I'm a licensed tugboat captain. And uh, so during college, I was working on the boats. So I would, three o'clock in the morning, I would be docking a ship and learning Spanish or German at the same time or doing my best. Wow. I wasn't, wasn't the best student. But um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And uh, um, anyhow, after, after college, got out of college, I, uh, I worked with my dad sinking some old junk offshore. And this, this is around the time the Navy base was shutting down. Uh, they were trying to get rid of a lot of things, barges, tugboats, small ships. And we would uh, bid, we would bid the job just for a dollar and we would sink a ship for a dollar and that included all the environmental cleanup, but we would salvage every possible thing off of that ship and sell it is either for scrap or for somebody else who needed it. 
and that's kind of the way we made the made the money as uh, just um, fancy fancy junk people. <laughs> wow! And um, I, I want to say during that time, you came up with an idea for something, um, a, a product that would help clean up old ships. Yeah. So you know, some of these ships were you know eighty years old. They'd been around a long time, and and the bottom of the boat is called the bilge. It's the very bottom of the boat. It's where everything accumulates over the years, everything from oil, sludge, um, just absolute filth. And and before we sink any vessel offshore, all that has to be cleaned up. Um, we don't want to create an environmental mess. We actually want to create an environmental habitat. And so we would spend a lot of time in the bilge, scrubbing, cleaning, digging out the, the muck, if you will. And um, we would put it in plastic bags and just like big hefty bags or glad bags. And we would have problems with them rupturing and making a bigger mess because it would spill more than when we were actually pulling out of the, out of the bottom of the boat. So I've made some heavy duty garbage bags. I just messed around with a little bit and made some like a heavy duty, just a really thick plastic garbage bag. And that worked really well. In, in our kind of prep session, you'd mentioned um, something around the, the thought that, you know, most ideas you come up with, uh, I think the term was suck and the world do doesn't really need them, but it's okay. And the reason it's okay is. Yeah. So just because you're every idea you have, needs to be shown to somebody just so you can have a conversation with them about what they might really need. In the classic case with that liner or that plastic bag, um, 30 years ago, 30 years ago this month, I contacted a gentleman named Bob Shepard at Fennel Container uh, up on Ashley Phosphate Road. And Bob and I had just developed a relationship because we had some, um, we had some oil retainment boom. It's the type of stuff you would use to contain an oil spill. And at the time, Fennel Container had the contract for cleaning up the harbor if anything went wrong. Thank goodness it didn't. But Bob and I had developed a friendship. So I called him one day and told him about what I had. And he said, man, that sounds really great. Why don't you bring it up here and show it to me? And so I went up to, uh, to see Bob on an August morning. And for some reason, he was busy. He was tied up. And he ended up turning me over to a youngster there named John Chapman, Johnny Chapman. And uh, Johnny took one look at it. He goes, ah, oh, we already we already buy those. And my heart sunk. But you know, if you can't beat them on innovation, you beat them on price. So I asked him what what he was what he was buying and um, or how much he was paying. And he said he was paying twenty seven dollars a piece for these things. And I'm thinking two bucks. Now I'm a philosopher, philosophy major, but I understood the math difference between something I was selling for two bucks and something he was buying for twenty seven. There's a nice spread there. So I asked him exactly what he was buying for twenty seven dollars. He he showed me, and it was a liner for a roll off. It was a big bag, not a little bag like I had. So it was pretty cool. And then, you know, that's how we got started. And you, that started an entire company? Well, it's a little more to it. I mean, I, I measured this container and I went back to my apartment. I was living in a little place west of the Ashley. And uh, I made this 22-foot bag. It was that's, it was a roll-off container liner. And uh, the next morning, I called John, uh, Johnny up and I said, Johnny, I've got this prototype ready for you. And I took it out to him and... We put it in the container, and I said, what do you think? He said, man, this thing fits really, really well. And I said, was well, that important? He said, yeah, when we're dumping sludge into this container, the sides won't fall in. And um, I said, cool. And so I inadvertently, just because of my naivete and just not knowing what I was doing, I made a fitted liner for these containers. And um, I said, well, he goes, how much? I said, $26 a piece. And uh, <laughs> he says, I'll, I'll take 100 And so my first purchase order for my first company was from Fennel Container, John Chapman, George Fennel, and, and Bob Shepard, whom I'm eternally grateful for because everything I have today started right there in that in that yard on Ashley Phosphate. 
Wow. And I know you're a big believer in those moments in life, right? These, these small moments that may seem small at the time that turn out to be instrumental in one's life. And I think we all come across many of those or offer those moments to others in our life. So uh, when you look back um, sort of over that, that part of your life and you think about some of those early experiences, what's a takeaway that you could share with some of our listeners that may be young or early starting out in their careers and their life that uh, maybe you didn't see at the time, but now that you're looking back, you truly understand? Well, I think number one would be um, if you have an idea, don't, don't wait for perfection per se, just get a minimal viable product put together and enough to show somebody that's willing to write you a check. I see too many young entrepreneurs trying to raise money for something that's unproven or spending too much time on a business plan. That's just complete fabrication of fantasy. And uh, you just need to just get out and do something. You got to hustle a little bit and put something in the marketplace and the marketplace will tell you yes or no pretty quickly. And then if it doesn't work, don't get discouraged. Just find out what they do want. That's number one. Number two is um, the people you surround yourself or uh, your friends and your peer group, are the most important leverage you have for, for growing as a human being. Um, they say that the, um, your life is going to be uh, the average of the five people you hang around with the most. So if you want your life to be above average, hang out with above average people. Wow. I'd never heard that. That's awesome. I need to look at the five people I'm hanging out with right now. <laughs> <laughs> two, two teenagers and like, oh my god it's oh not man I'm in trouble. I'm in, oh yeah the covid i guess the covid hangout is a little different now right <laughs> i need to reevaluate my life <laughs> so after so after that tell us a little bit about the journey after inventing that product where did that company go and how has it evolved and well we named the company or i named the company the richards group which was just a super obnoxious it was three of us me myself and i it was all you know me myself and i running the company i got that from either donald our president had a book out about that time called the art of the deal and uh, in the book i remember reading something about um, he named it the trump organization because he wanted to sound bigger bigger than it was so i said okay we'll be the richards group then and uh that's how it got started but we started making these liners um that was you know september or so of 1990 um i had a friend of mine uh starting a restaurant at the time um athen focus his family owned old town which i think just closed and he's starting north town and um he had a bartender working for him and i had the bartender design an ad for me to run in a national publication called the hauler so this is a trade publication i think it I think it reached about 26,000 people and um, it was specific to the waste industry. And I ran a half page ad in the hauler for $500. I can tell you what kind of fancy ad that was. And we called the product, the EnviroLiner. And on that ad, we had 36 responses. And these were BFIs, waste management, whole type of companies. One of them was a company called BJK out of um, Arkansas. And um, they called us wanting us to make a liner just like we were making, but just cut one end off. It was for transporting animal hides. So a lot of the cow, the second most valuable part of a cow is the skin, the hide. And most of it was sent to Korea and China to be processed into leather goods. And the containers that go on ships actually had needed a liner because they were transporting these nasty hides over to for China. And we started making those and our business just skyrocketed. It was crazy. And so I know over the the next many many years you started multiple companies. I think it's a dozen or so, um, and and some went great and some didn't. Talk a little bit about as we're kind of winding down a little bit of this show, just 
the spirit of that, like how do you mentally go through um, multiple companies and you win some and you lose some? Um, so we've all heard the phrase WTF, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it has a bad, bad connotation, but the better connotation is willing to fail. So if you're, if you have a willing to take willingness to take a chance and fail at something, um, it's the, that's the trick. And so most entrepreneurs, most entrepreneurs have an urge to start something, uh, doesn't necessarily mean they have a great skills at finishing anything. Um, uh, this, we can talk about that as another thing It's something called a Colby, which is a way to assess this. But I am like the farmer who plants seeds and then goes out every day and digs them up to see how they're doing. <laughs> so what happens with an entrepreneur, I have a, if you have a business that's doing really well, it can be very destructive. That's a very destructive trait. Uh, going and constantly messing with stuff. If it's running good, you need to leave it alone. So one of the ways I managed to leave the good businesses alone was to go out and start another business. Um, at one time, I had a very foolish goal. I wanted to own a hundred operating companies, and I um, very foolish. There's absolutely no way, given where I am today, that I'd want any part of that. <laughs> but um, it was, you know, that's. I just wanted to start a lot of companies, and I started a lot of companies in some diverse spaces and. 50-50. It's like playing craps. You know, some worked, some didn't. I got to know, as we're winding things up, what was the craziest company you started? Oh, I decided to build bass boats. Now, I don't mm -hmm. bass fish. <laughs> I just thought it would be fun. And not only were we going to build a bass boat, we were going to build the world's fastest bass boat um, <laughs> called Vector. And it didn't chine walk. So, anybody out there who bass fishes and knows anything about a bass boat, once you get over a certain speed, it does this really crazy thing called chine walking where it kind of bounces side to side and you have to push through it to get up on what's called the pad. And I wanted to build a boat that didn't chine walk. And we did. It was a tunnel hole boat and uh, absolute failure from the grip. <laughs> didn't know anything about what we were doing, but our slogan was cool. It was called fish faster. Um, anyhow, we, we had a lot of fun with it, but it was a mess. Lost a lot of money. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> but it's those experiences in life and, and those even failures that you go through in life that allow you to come out that other end, right? As a smarter, stronger, more equipped entrepreneur. You know, sometimes the horse you're riding dies, you know, it's just either for your own fault, stupid stupidity you did. And I've done a lot of stupid stuff over the years and been successful in spite of them. Um, or something changes and the horse dies and you know what you do, you get off the horse and you jump on another one. I have a lot of quotes from today, Leslie. I'm excited to get to share those next week. And uh, unfortunately, we are running out of time today. Uh, I'm looking forward, Mark, to you coming back next week and, and telling the rest of the story, because I know there's a lot of success in there. And we want to hear a lot more about what you're involved in today. Again, uh, Mark Richards. Um, Obviously, multi-multi-organizational uh, uh, entrepreneur, and uh, we appreciate your time today. Oh, thank you so much. It's my pleasure being here. It's been a lot of fun. And again, awesome. you've been listening to Beyond the Business, presented by Coastal Wealth Management and the College of Charleston School of Business here on 94.3 WSC. We'll look forward to having you back next Saturday morning, Low Country. And until then, have a blessed week. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Business, brought to you by the College of Charleston School of Business. The College of Charleston School of Business, where students are beyond ready to work, they're ready to make an impact. Tune in next Saturday morning at 9 for Beyond the Business, hosted by Eric Cox and Leslie Haywood, and heard exclusively on News Radio 943 WSC. The College of Charleston School of Business is recognized among the top 30 colleges for studying business abroad by the Business Research Guide. 
with nine undergraduate majors, 10 minors, and six concentration areas, an honors program in business, and master's programs in business and accountancy, the College of Charleston School of Business has more than 3,000 students enrolled. Their students are ready to work, and they're ready to make an impact. For more info, visit sb.cfc.edu.